Welcome to First Church. So glad you guys are joining us here today. And I just saw online, we've got some military guys in the Czech Republic who are worshiping with us. We also have Mike and Karen who are coming back from Medicine Park, Oklahoma, and a bunch of others. So if you are here on site, would you put your hands together? Welcome in our online family here today. So glad you guys online, as well as everybody who's here on site is joining us at First Church. And I'm excited to continue on in our series, We Are First Church. But before we do, I'm not sure if you notice, but out front at the start of our entrance, we have started construction when it comes to our unstoppable building project. Yeah, we broke ground this week and it was awesome. We were super excited. But I do have to admit, it is hard to find good help these days. You see this picture online? Yeah. That is me on a bulldozer trying to do some work. And when, I, when we put that picture up on social media, we got a lot of feedback from it. But the one response that I heard the most, people had the nerve to ask me this. They said, Chad, did you really drive it or is that just a photo op? And I, you know, at first I thought it was funny. But then when multiple people kept asking me that, I thought, what is this saying about me? And I was almost offended. And then I was talking to my mom on the phone who lives in Kentucky. And she saw this picture on social media. And she said, so Chad, was that just a photo op? You didn't actually drive that thing, did you? And I'm like, oh, even my own mom. I mean, come on. So I wanted to prove to you guys, I did drive that thing and I've got video evidence. Here you go. Yeah. It was a lot of fun. I'm not going to quit my day job, but it was a lot of fun. And I think I caused more work for the workers after I got finished, but still, it was great. But what's funny is the guy, one of the workers who is telling me about it, and I was like, hey, listen, you're going to have to tell me exactly what to do because I've never been on anything like this before. He's like, oh, no problem. It's simple. This is what you do. And so he said, make sure you got your hard hat on. Make sure it's tight. I was like, okay, I can do that. That's easy enough. And then he said, when you sit down, it's like, you need to take the parking brakes off. There's two of them, one on each side. And then you're going to hit the pedal on your right with your foot. You're gonna unlock it, and it's just gonna take off going. It won't go very fast yet, it'll just take off, and so be prepared for that. And then you can control which way it goes with the lever that's on your left. You can go frontwards, backwards, side to side, whatever. You control the speed above your head on the right, faster, slower, whatever. Then there's another lever on your right-hand side, and that lever, well, uh, it, it, it controls the, um, the um, what's it called? It's not the, 
The, the blade, yeah, blade, there you go. I want to say the shovel, yeah. You can tell I've been on one before, but anyway, yeah. The blade, yeah, it, uh, it takes care of the blade. And then he's like, and then when you're done, you want to hit that little pedal again, and you're going to lock it back in place, and then you're going to put in neutral, and then put the parking brakes back on. And he looked at me after all these instructions, and he goes, so, you got it? And I looked at him, and I was like, okay, you lost me after make sure you got your hard hat on. I mean, I don't have a clue what you just said, but he went back through it again, and it was easy enough, and it was a whole lot of fun. And here's the thing. Our next-gen team tells me that we cannot build that building fast enough because this past Sunday, I was talking to Nathan Stang, one of our elementary ministers, and he said this past Sunday, we had a record number of kids upstairs, so much so that our first hour service, our 930 service, had more kids in it than it's had all year. How awesome is that? And then this service was also full as well. And just to give you some perspective, we had more kids in kindergarten through fifth grade last Sunday than what we did last year on Easter Sunday. That's the growth that we are having right now. And yeah, that is incredible and it is exciting, but I just got word that we had more kids in first service this Sunday than we did last week. I don't know about this service, but in the earlier service, we had more kids and that is just phenomenal. And here's the thing, we give God all the credit for that. God is doing some amazing things in this place as we try to reach the next generation, but as we try to reach all generations for the sake of his son. My kids had Meet the Teacher this week. Uh, school started back here in Owasso, and so we went Tuesday night to meet their teachers. My kids are both in the same school now, and so as we were going through the hallways, I just kept running into person after person who were introducing themselves to me for the first time who've been coming to our church because they've just been coming for a couple months or even a couple weeks. One person said it was their first Sunday last week and, they, and everybody would stop me and say, hey, we just love what First Church is doing or we love how First Church is impacting our family and it's being a great influence on my kids and just hearing story after story after story like that just got me excited. People who I hadn't had the chance to meet yet were stopping me to tell me what a good work God is doing through our church. And as I hear stories like that, and then I hear other testimonies of how our church is reaching people without the 918 and around the globe, and as I hear about lives being changed here on a weekly basis, I'm reminded of a passage of scripture that's found in 2 Corinthians. Paul writes these words. He says, the light will shine in darkness. And the reason why I think about that promise is because we are living in a day and age when there's a whole lot of darkness. I mean, there is darkness all around us. Just look around. We see darkness everywhere, and yet in the midst of all that darkness, the light of Christ is shining bright through God's people, through the church. And that gets me excited because that's why we're here. We are here to change the world, to penetrate the darkness that exists with the light of Jesus. But here's the thing. When you start to push against the darkness, the darkness will push back. And Jesus doesn't hide that truth from us. In fact, he says, in this world, you will have trouble. Peter says that those who wanna live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. When we push against the darkness, we are going to be up against obstacles, opposition, pressure, even persecution. Sometimes it's really, really hard to swim upstream in a downstream world. And we've talked about that over and over again here at First Church. But here's the thing, we are not alone. Even though God's path, the path for our lives, is not always the path of least resistance. In fact, typically it's not. God has not left us here alone. 
He is with us as we continue to do what he is calling us to do, but he's also given us a great resource to be able to not just survive when it comes to living by faith in this world, but to thrive. You know what that resource is? It's one another. It's our church family. It's our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, the Bible teaches us that we need to surround ourselves with people who keep pointing us back to Jesus because God has given us a family, a community that will build us up, lift us up during times of trouble, but also celebrate with us on the good days. And that's why Paul writes these words in 1 Thessalonians. He says, therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as in fact you are doing. It's the expectation in scripture that followers of Jesus will regularly, continually be building one another up, supporting one another, helping one another out as we try to live out the calling that God has placed on our lives. And that's why here at First Church, we believe that growing together in community is essential to who God is calling us to be. It's at the core of our values. We make it not just an important part of our mission, but it is essential because we wanna be a church that uses every resource that God gives us to move his mission forward. And one of the greatest resources that he has given to us is truly one another. You see, I mentioned last Sunday and I mentioned earlier in this service that God is doing some incredible stuff in the life of our church right now, and he truly is. And I had no idea last Sunday when I said that, that we were going to have a record number overall in our attendance. I mean, we had over 2,000 people worship with us last Sunday, and it wasn't a holiday Sunday. It wasn't a special event Sunday, even though every Sunday at First Church is special. But it, you guys know what I'm saying. It was just a normal Sunday, and we had over 2,000 people worship with us, and that is incredible. Now, I have to be really, really careful because sometimes when I say things like that, because I get excited, I do, I get excited when I see God doing some awesome stuff. But sometimes when I say stuff like that, I will have people stop me, typically not in our church, typically they're outside of our church, but they will say, all you guys do is care about numbers. You just talk about numbers. That's all you talk about is numbers. That's what you're focused on is numbers. And here's the thing, I could make a biblical argument for why numbers are important to God because when you look in scripture, there's a reason why we know that there were 3,000 people who were baptized on the day of Pentecost. There's a reason why we know Jesus fed 5,000 with five loaves of bread and two fish. There's a reason why we know that in the upper room after the resurrection, there were 120 believers gathered there. We know that because somebody counted. And we also know that because somebody counted and God saw fit to record it in his book for all generations to know about. So apparently those numbers are important for us to know. But I don't even have to make that argument. I can, but I don't have to. Because if you mean all you guys are focused on is numbers, if by numbers you mean people, you are absolutely right. We are focused on people. And we here at First Church are not going to apologize for wanting more and more people to hear about the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. We are not going to apologize for wanting to expand the kingdom of God because numbers are souls, our lives, our people, and we know every life matters to God. And if you think a church is too big to be a part of, then you're gonna be in for a rude awakening when you get to heaven, okay? Because we want to continue to make the population of heaven bigger and bigger and bigger as Jesus works in and through us.
Now, with that said, we're not gonna apologize for wanting, for wanting more and more people to hear about the good news of Jesus Christ. But I also wanna clarify something else. Our primary goal as a church is not to get people to come to church. Our primary goal as a church is to get people to be more like Jesus, to let Jesus transform and change their lives. And here's the thing. One of the vehicles, one of the instruments that God has given us in order to make that happen is the church. The church exists so that people can find out about Jesus and become more and more like him. That's why we're here, and we as a church family don't want to lose sight of that. We want to continue to foster and cultivate spiritual growth so that people continue to look more and more like Jesus. And that's why a few years ago, we adopted this little tool, we call it our discipleship triangle, that we can bump up against every now and then to make sure that we are keeping our focus. Because as we study scripture, we believe that every follower of Jesus, no matter what state they are in their spiritual journey or point they're at in their spiritual journey, every follower of Jesus needs to be pursuing Jesus, growing together in community and unleashing love, serving his mission. And we believe that a balanced diet of that leads to a balanced spiritual life. And we get it. Everybody is at different points in their spiritual journey. So if you've been a Christian for 50 years, pursuing Jesus is probably going to look differently than if you've just been a Christian for a few days. We get that. Growing together and unleashing love, it's going to look different depending on what phase you're in in life. But this is a common goal that we all have. It's a target for us to shoot for, to making sure that we are cultivating an environment where people are growing up to be more and more like Jesus. Because that's our mission to love Jesus more and to love like him more, to be more like him every single day. And so last week we talked about the importance of pursuing Jesus, that all of us need to have the goal, the mindset to pursue Jesus with everything we have. But today we're gonna look at the next part of the triangle, which is growing together in community. Because we believe the Bible teaches that following Jesus is a team sport. And let me say that again. Following Jesus is a team sport. And the reason why I say it like that is because I'm not sure if the church in our culture has always made that clear. I'm not sure if we've always taught that very well. Because some of us were taught to believe that salvation is an individual experience. It's primarily something that is just between us and God. It's an individual experience. Now, don't misunderstand me. Accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior is a personal decision that every person needs to make. Absolutely. But following Jesus is a communal journey. Following Jesus is something that we do together because we aren't called just to believe in the message of Jesus as individuals. We are called to be part of the movement of Jesus that is his church. Because Jesus came, catch this, not just to save individuals. His plan is bigger than that. He came to form, to create a family, a people, a society, a community that are his very own. And we see this early on in the New Testament. Joseph, the earthly father of Jesus, when an angel appeared to him to predict that Mary was going to give birth to Jesus. Do you remember what the angel said to Joseph? said this, she will give birth to a son and you are to give him the name Jesus because he will save his what? Say it with me, people. Okay, are you guys awake or what? Save his people 
from their sins. Jesus came to have a people who are his very own, who belong to him, who reflect his character, who represent him in this world, a family that he would be the head of. And if you read on down a few more verses, it says in Matthew 1, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with me. Nope, not even God with you, singular, which means God with us. Following Jesus is a communal journey because to believe in Jesus is to belong to Jesus' people. To believe in Jesus is to belong to his family. You will never find in Scripture the Lone Ranger mentality of spirituality. You won't. To believe in Jesus is to belong to his people. And that's the expectation that we see all throughout Scripture. Listen to what Paul says. Paul says in 2 Timothy, Jesus Christ who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a what? A people, right? Now get this. He came to redeem us from all wickedness, so save us personally, individually from our sins, and to do something else, to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. See, Jesus didn't come just to save individuals. He also came to establish, to form a people that would belong to him, that would change the world by carrying out his will, by representing him in this world. Listen to what Peter says. Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the what? The people of God. Jesus came so that we could be part of something bigger than ourselves, something greater than just being individuals. Jesus hasn't called us just to believe in his message or his mission. He has called us to be part of his movement to change the world through his church. And I'll have to admit, it took me a long time to realize just how important the church is. Because I knew the church was important. I grew up being taught that church is important. But it took me a while to realize how essential the church is. You know, that was a thing a couple years ago. What's essential and not essential, right? You read scripture. The church isn't just a good thing. The church is essential to God's plan, both for the world and for our lives. Now, I get it. We live in a culture that definitely lifts up the idea of independence. And so because independence is one of our highest virtues, when we hear stuff like this, it's like, I don't need other people. And don't misunderstand me. Independence is a good thing in certain contexts. Don't misunderstand me. But when it comes to the context of spirituality, you never see the idea of the Lone Ranger Christian. And even the Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? I mean, okay, you older folks will get that one. Anyway, I'll move on. But somebody told me that after first service. So anyway, I thought I'd throw it in there. And so what that means is because we have been wired to be independent in everything, we need to be rewired when it comes to our spirituality. 
don't know if you guys have seen the movie Hoosiers. It's one of my favorite sports movies. Love it. I've talked about it before. It's about a small town Indiana high school basketball team that wins the state tournament. And it's just a great movie. I love it. But one scene in this movie is when Coach Normandale becomes the new coach of this team of Hickory. And he implements a new rule. He says that on offense, you cannot shoot the ball until the ball is passed at least five times. So in their first practice, he really works on passing a whole lot, and he tells them this over and over again. You cannot shoot until you pass the ball at least five times. And I remember as a kid watching this movie thinking, that's crazy. If you're open, shoot the ball. You know, why is he doing this? And as I've matured, I get it. It's because basketball is a team sport. And yeah, there are times when maybe one really talented player might be able to carry the team to a win in certain situations. But there are other times when you go against tougher competition and opposition, that if you're not playing as a team, you're going to lose. That if you want lasting success, you've got to come together as a team. And Coach Normandale in the movie Hoosiers knew that. And that's why he implemented the rule. You've got to pass five times before you shoot. And what's interesting is later on in the movie, he doesn't mention that rule anymore. You know why? because they've learned to play as a team now. They first need to be rewired though. And I think in the church today, we need to do a little rewiring. Because I've met people, and you probably have too, that kind of have this mentality, attitude. They don't need the church. They're good without the church. In fact, sometimes people are even kind of prideful and arrogant about it. As if they're almost too spiritual for the church. You ever met somebody like that? Hey, I've been to all these churches. I've tried that church, this church, that church, this church, that church, this church, and I've tried them all out, and none of them are doing it right, and so I'm just gonna not go to any of them. And they act like that that's a sign of spiritual maturity or advancement or whatever. And the Bible says that's a sign of unhealthy spirituality. That's a sign of spiritual immaturity because we need the church. We need one another And maybe the reason why some of us feel scared and lost and weak and empty and overwhelmed at times in this world is because we're not surrounding ourselves with the right people. Because if we're going to do the tough stuff that God is calling us to do, we need to surround ourselves with the people that God wants us to be with. And that also may mean we need to put out some people who will pull us away from God. And all that's hard to hear because we also teach us you're to love everybody. So that means we don't love certain people? Absolutely not. We do love everyone, even our enemies. Jesus says that. But there are also certain people in our lives who are going to be negative influences, who are going to have too strong of an influence in our lives. They're going to pull us away from God. And we are going to approach that relationship differently than those people in our lives who we know are going to point us closer to Jesus. Because we are shaped by those we allow to have significant input in our lives. Don't take my word for this. Listen to what the Bible says. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he who walks with the wise grows wise, but a companion of fools suffers harm. Anybody ever been there before? You hang out with fools, over time you're going to do foolish things. It's not just the book of Proverbs. In the New Testament, Paul writes this. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Translation, stuff rubs off. I remember I heard somebody say one time, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. And I think that is so important. 
And that's what the Bible is telling us here. We love everybody, but we need to limit who we allow to have influence on our lives and input into our lives. Because there are certain people who will drag us away, pull us away from Jesus. See, the moment that you want to live by faith, the moment that you want to live out God's will for your life, you are going to immediately meet certain people who are going to be against it. Certain people who are going to mock it, ridicule it. Certain people that are going to try to talk you out of it. Certain people who want you to abandon it. Certain people who just don't get it. And because of that, we need certain other people who are going to encourage it. We need certain other people who are going to support it. Certain other people who are going to surround us in the midst of it. So that we can be the people that God is calling us to be. And that's the whole point of Hebrews chapter 10, starting in verse 23. Listen to what the scripture tells us here. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. Let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. That's right, even the first century, people are skipping out on church, okay? So let us not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. What is that Hebrews 10 is telling us? You see, this was written during a period of time when it was really tough to be a Christian. The government was against them. The culture was against them. People didn't get it. They thought Christians were crazy. And in that type of environment, it's easy to want to turn back. And Christians were abandoning their faith. They were abandoning the church. Did you catch here what Hebrews tells us? It says we need to surround ourselves with people who will help us focus on the day that is approaching, the day of Jesus' return. Because, yeah, right now things may be tough. Yeah, right now you may be experiencing a lot of pain and suffering. But there is coming a day when Jesus will return and all that will be gone. Don't lose sight of that day. And the way that you don't lose sight of that day is surrounding yourself with people who are also pointing to that day. Make sure you continue to have the right influences in your lives. And in my own experience, my 15 years of full-time preaching experience, for what that is, <laughs> I have discovered that typically when somebody leaves the faith, walks away from Jesus, they left the church a long time before that. Maybe not physically, maybe they just mentally checked out or emotionally they weren't with the church. But when people walk away from the faith, they left the church a long time before that. And it's tempting to do. And that's why Hebrews says, don't forget how important this is because God empowers us to do things together that we can't do on our own. In fact, Jesus even says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them. And you know, when I was a kid, I misunderstood that passage. You know, I used to think that it was as if, you know, Jesus just waiting, you know, around, waiting for two or three people to get together. And once two or three people got together, then bam, he's there, you know. That's what I used to think that that meant. But what it's saying is, yes, Jesus is always with us. But when two or three people unite together with a common focus and conviction, there is power in that that doesn't exist when we're just practicing Lone Ranger spirituality. And the sad part is that verse where two or three are gathered together in my name, a lot of times the only time I ever hear that quoted is when 
you have a church service where there's not a lot of people at it. You know, it's like an, it's an excuse for poor attendance. You know, well, at least two or three are gathered here. Jesus is in our midst. I don't think that's the point. The point is come together with as many as you can. The more people we have, the more God's power will be at work. If two and three people bring Jesus' power in a way that doesn't exist without them, imagine what it looks like when two or 3,000 people come together in the name of Jesus. See, that's why it's important that we have a healthy, strong community that is focused on what matters, the day that is approaching Now, I get it. Doing life with people is complicated. I know. It's tough. People will let you down. There will be conflict. There will be misunderstandings. There will be differences of opinion. I get it. And sometimes people come to me and they'll tell me something as if they're going to shock me and they'll say, Chad, you won't believe this, but somebody in church hurt my feelings. I'm like, "Uh, join the club. Yeah, (laughs) you know. Because here's the thing, there's not a perfect church because churches are made up of people. And on this side of that day that is approaching when Jesus comes back, no church is ever going to be perfect. But what brings us together is not our common perfection because we don't have that. What brings us together is the grace of Jesus because we all need that. What brings us together is not convenience or our personal comforts. What brings us together is the conviction that Jesus is Lord and that he is changing the world. And our love for him and our love for the calling on his lives unites us in a way that this world should never be able to divide us. We are a people who are brought together by Jesus. And he sees us as essential, as a people. Now, I also understand that in a church our size, you can't be best friends with everybody. I know that. It would be unhealthy for you to try. I can't be everybody's best friend. Sometimes people want the preacher to be like their best friend. I can't be everybody's best friend. That is physically, emotionally impossible. I can't do that, and you can't do it either. And even Jesus, who was the greatest leader of all time, I mean, Jesus spent time with the crowds and he invested in them, but he also had 12 closer friends, didn't he, that he really invested in. And that's our example. Yes, there is power when the crowd comes together and unites and Jesus and worships together and communes together and studies God's word together. But there's also power when people get close in a smaller community, invest in one another in a smaller setting, a smaller, more intimate group to where you don't just know people's names, but you know people's stories. And it's not just you know their stories, soon you become part of their story. So let me ask you, do you have community like that? Because we need the church as a whole, but we also need close friendships that point us to Jesus. So I've got three questions for you. And the, three, and the first question is this, do you have friends who are helping you move closer to Jesus? Because like I said, there's a difference between the crowd and having a close, intimate community. Tyler Perry, the famous actor and producer and screenwriter, one time in an interview talked about friendships and relationships and he compared it to that of a tree. And I thought this was really good. He said, you know, in life you have three types of friends. You have leaf people. And leaf people are those who are around for a season, but then they're gone. They're around for a season and they serve a purpose, but then they're gone. And then you have 
branch people. Branch people are those who can weather with you through a storm, but don't put too much weight on them or they might snap and break. And then he says there are root people. And root people are those who not just hold you up, support you, but even if a storm knocks you over, they're still attached to you. They're still connected to you. And my question to you today is, do you have spiritual root people in your life? Because I think that's what the Bible is talking about when it says that we are to do life with one another. We do it in the broader community, but we also have people that we walk side by side with through life, our spiritual root people. Like I said, we don't just know their names, we know their stories, and eventually we become part of their story. But that type of community, it doesn't happen by accident. It's gotta be intentional. You don't just fall into it. It's gotta be intentional. And that leads me to the next question. First of all, do you have friends like that? But second of all, are you being a friend who helps others move closer to Jesus? Because community is a two-way street. Yes, you need friends who are gonna be your spiritual root people, but you also need to be that type of friend for others as well. And if you have the consumeristic mentality when it comes to church that you just wanna show up and, hey, everybody meet my needs, and you never invest in anybody else, you're not gonna find the type of community that God knows that you need. I have a friend who preaches at a large church in central Kentucky. His name is John and I remember hearing him tell the story several years ago. He had a group of people in his church who showed up at his office one day and they were upset basically because their personal needs were not being met in the church. And so they wanted to let John know about it, complain about it. And John just listened. John's philosophy when it comes to ministry is my philosophy as well. People are never our enemy. Satan's our enemy. Evil, sin, that's our enemy. People are not our enemy. God loves all people. And so he sat there and he listened to them. And after they got done, venting basically, voicing their opinion. He looked at me and said, you know, I'm so sorry that you feel that way. But before we talk about anything else, I just have one question I wanna ask. And John asked this group, he said, who are you guys serving? And they looked at him kind of odd, like what? He said, who are you guys serving in our church? Who are you guys investing in, in our church? And the leader of that group spoke up and said, John, we're not talking about other people, we're talking about us. And I think that's the problem. Because you see, Jesus says, Jesus says that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See, we're here to be servants like our leader. And that means that we need to be investing in other people. And did you notice what Hebrews chapter 10 said? It didn't say, I encourage you to go to church. I encourage you to be part of the church. It didn't say that. It says, be part of the church so that you can encourage one another. It's a command, be part of the church so that you can encourage one another, spur one another on, lift one another up. Who are you doing that for? And then the last question that I wanna leave you with is this. Do you really believe that God's people are stronger together? Because God does. And I know I've heard people say, I don't need the church. I can worship God on my boat, or I can worship God, you know, uh, on my tractor or whatever else. And I know sometimes we use the excuse of, well, I can watch it online. You can't. We believe in online ministry. We're all about online ministry, but it doesn't mean that you don't need community. You don't need other Christian people to surround you and to help you and to support you and to challenge you and to uplift you. We need one another. 
And I think God knows that we don't just need one another for our own sakes, but we also need one another because our witness is better together. Several years ago, somebody sent me this picture. It was a picture of a church in the Philippines. They were having some massive storms, some bad flooding, and their little village was almost destroyed. And yet, the Christians in that little village on Sunday morning as the flood was happening continued to meet for worship. I know it's a blurry picture, but that is water up higher than their ankles, up at their calves, and there they are worshiping on a Sunday. You know why? Because these Christians knew that in the midst of trying times, that's when they needed to come together because they needed one another then more than ever. And it's sad in the American church, if they just call for 20% chance of rain, people wanna skip church. You know, I just, I don't get it. See, when you're going through tough times, you know how much you need one another. And that's the witness that we give to the world, that we're living for something greater than just the world we see around us. Because that picture I just showed you, it actually went viral. People were posting it all over. Some people were praising it, some people were questioning it. Well, how stupid are these people, you know? They're meeting together, there's a flood coming? What, how dumb are they? But the thing is, the world noticed. Because they noticed they were living for something beyond just the trials that they were going through. Guys, the church isn't going to erase all of our problems and the church isn't able to erase all of our suffering and erase all of our pain, but it can help us get through it. And when the world sees that we are living for the day approaching, not just the day that we're living in right now, but the day approaching when Jesus returns, when all things will be made right again, they wanna know what we have because together they see something different in us that they don't see in this world. They see a hope and a love that doesn't exist in this world. I think our world is longing for that community, for people to surround them. Why do you think this clip went viral this week? You probably saw this. Two teams, Little League teams, playing to try to get into the Little League World Series. One was from Texas, one was from Oklahoma. And if you saw this video, you know that basically Texas was pitching and the pitcher hit the batter who's on the Oklahoma team in the head. And the batter went down. They thought he was really hurt bad. He laid on the ground for a long time, and eventually he got up and he was okay, but the pitcher was pretty shook up because he thought he had really hurt this kid bad, and he knew what he could have done. It was just a wild pitch. It was a mistake. He didn't mean to do it, but it tore him up, and so even though the batter took his base, the pitcher just stood at the mound, put his head down, and started to cry because he knew he could have really hurt that kid, and I love what happened next. If you saw this video, this is what happened. This is really cool because as a pitcher, Bubs looks shaken up right now because of what he did. And look at Zay Jarvis. This is such great sportsmanship. He wants him to know that it's okay, that he'll be fine. Hey, bro. Look at me. Look at me. Look at me. You're all right. Amazing. You're all right. Look at me. Hey, look, look. I love that. Did you hear the answer that he wants him to know it's going to be okay? It's going to be all right. Guys, that's why the church is here. Like I said, we can't take away everybody's pain. We can't remove suffering in this world. But what we can do is surround people in the midst of their pain, in the midst of their suffering, and say, it's gonna be okay. Because we're living for the approaching day. There's a day that is coming when Jesus, our King, is going to make all things right. And you can be part of his kingdom, his family, on that day, together with us. 
And on that day, we will celebrate because he is our Lord, because he is our King. And you can start to experience that love, that joy, that peace, that hope right now as we together await that day. That's why we're here. To surround our community, our larger community, with the love of Jesus. And that's why every single year we have, for the past several years, we've had a series called You're Invited. It's coming again. If you've been part of our church for the past couple years, you know what this is. This is a fun time in our church. I can't wait. I always look forward to You're Invited. If you're new, this is what happens. We throw a party every week. Really, we throw a party every week, but this is a special party every single week. And it's an invite opportunity because we want you to invite your neighbors, your friends, your coworkers to come and experience the joy of heaven in the midst of the sadness of earth. And so we do some extra stuff on the first Sunday. It's gonna begin on August the 28th, just a couple weeks away. We're gonna have our annual tailgate party. It's a football theme day and there'll be snacks and there'll be football games and all that kind of stuff going on here. But we will also encourage all of our church family to wear their favorite team colors or jersey, whatever. And it doesn't have to be football. Most people will probably wear their favorite football team, college or professional, but you can also wear your favorite baseball team's jersey or your favorite basketball team or whatever. We don't care, but it's awesome. Looking out at the crowd and seeing everybody supporting their favorite team. But it reminds us that we're all on the same team, Jesus team. And by the way, in the past, people have, bought, have brought uh, flags and, you know, air horns and all sorts of stuff. I mean, we have a blast. So you're not going to want to miss Tailgate Sunday on August the 28th. After that, September the 4th is Labor Day weekend. And in some churches, that's just kind of a, a miss Sunday, a skip Sunday. Not here. We make it a big deal. And we have our annual Labor Day cookout. That means there is free food for everybody after both services on Labor Day Sunday. And so we're gonna have pulled pork this year. We're gonna have hot dogs and everything else. And so it's gonna be a ton of fun. If you've got friends or family members or coworkers, whoever, who aren't leaving town for the holiday, invite them to come. We're gonna have a blast and we're gonna have free food. You can't beat that. And then on September the 11th, that's gonna be Superhero Day. We're gonna have some characters here and some different games and fun stuff for kids and families. And then the last day is gonna be our finale. It's gonna be Zoo Day. And we're gonna have a huge petting zoo here with some crazy animals, some rides, some games and activities. You're not gonna wanna miss that either. But these are four Sundays in a row that are key invite opportunities. And the reason why we do this is not just to have fun, even though church should be fun. The reason why we do this is because we want to invite our community to come to an environment where they feel safe and they know that they are loved by God and his people. So let's be a community that surrounds our larger community with the love of Jesus. Let's be a community that not just believes in the mission of Jesus, but that joins the movement of Jesus as we await the approaching day of his return. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for this moment that we've had to open up your word, and your word is so true. We are better together, and we just pray that we will seek out intentionally the community that we need, the friendships that we need. And Father, there's anybody in this room who feels lonely or alone right now, I just pray that you will put the right people in their path so that they can find those relationships that they need to not just survive in this world, but thrive in this world. For we know that we are truly better together. In the name of Jesus, I pray, amen.